You're listening to there, of course, is ACDC's iconic song, Thunderstruck. The song was recorded at uh, Vancouver's Little Mountain Sound Studio. And today, Mayor Ken Sim and councillors officially declared December 19th as Little Mountain Sound Studios Day in Vancouver. Now, it was founded in 1972. Little Mountain uh, became an iconic hub for chart-topping recordings of bands like ACDC, Aerosmith, Metallica, and Bon Jovi. Uh, Mayor Ken Sim says the studio is a symbol of Vancouver. Vancouver's swagger in the world of music. Of course, he would say swagger. Well, tonight uh, on BC One, Global News broadcaster Squire Barnes will be airing the special on the studio called Little Mountain Big Sound, and he joins us now. Squire, thanks for speaking to us today. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. So what convinced you to do this new special on Little Mountain Sound? Well, it started five years ago with just one three-minute story for the news hour about Little Mountain Sound and then sort of grew out from there. But the reason is, I mean, I love music and I grew up in this town, but I didn't realize, maybe it was just me, but I think others didn't realize as well, that a lot of this great music was coming from West 7th Avenue in Vancouver, near Canby Street, because that's where Little Mountain Sound was, and it's still a studio, but it's called something else now. And the number of records, especially in the 1980s, that came out of there um, were incredible. And the records that came out, some of them are legendary, like Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi was made exclusively at that studio. Uh, Three Aerosmith albums were made there. Um, Loverboy's first two records really got everybody's attention when it came to Little Mountain Sound. And if... um, you love the song Thunderstruck, and everybody knows the opening guitar riff. That was done at Little Mountain Sound in Vancouver as well. What was it about that space uh, that attracted these bands? Well, it was space and people. Um, you know, a lot of studios, I'm guessing, are kind of the same. They all have basically the same equipment. These guys were always up to date on their equipment. Just with the building itself, there was one part of the building that they stumbled on that became uh, a key element to the sound. And that is in the back alley uh, of the building is a loading bay where, you know, there's a tin door that goes up. And if you have to move equipment in, you know, recording equipment or what have you, you put it in there. And what they discovered early on is that they put drums in a band in that room and it had a really cool echoey sound to it. So it sounded bigger. Uh, Brian Adams did an album there called Reckless. And he brought in a, a very famous producer from New York named Bob Clearmountain. And Bob Clearmountain saw what they were doing with this loading bay, and he changed it up a bit. He put the drums beside the door of the loading bay and then put the microphones inside it. So the drums sounded almost cavernous and huge. Bands started hearing these records, and especially drummers, and they're like, hey, we want those big drum sounds too, because that was very 80s. That was a real 80s sound. And so a lot of bands started coming here. But the other thing that attracted them to Little Mountain Sound was there were unbelievably good engineers there and unbelievably good producers, the two main producers being Bruce Fairburn, who is no longer with us, and Bob Rock. So they wanted to work with these guys, and they were in a great space. And as I said, the other people around them, these engineers, uh, were brilliant as well. And everything just seemed to come together at the same time and the word got out in the music industry that this was the place to come if you wanted to make a great record. Could you replicate replicate that today 
uh, with the the technical equipment and some of these many of these artists, uh, you know, having their own uh, studios in their house, a lot more can be done with technology. Uh, do you think w- what happened in Little Mountain during that era could be replicated today? I'm going to selfishly say no. Now, I'm not a sound engineer. I'm sure with computers and stuff, you could get close. But it's interesting you asked that question because that was a question we asked uh, one of the producers who now works in Los Angeles, um, who grew up learning to trade at Little Mountain. And he said, you know, you can try with computers and things like that to get close to, say, the drum sound they got out of the loading bay, but you never get it exactly because that's an organic sound that for some reason a computer, at least he doesn't think, can accurately repeat. It can get close, but it can't get the the organic sound that that had. There's actually some records uh, that were produced there that if you listen very closely, when the song fades out, mm-hmm. you can actually hear trucks going up the back alley. <laughs> Honestly, you can hear like, what is that noise? It's actually trucks going up the back alley off West 7th. That because the amazing. door was quite thin. It's just a tin door. That is amazing. That is, uh, that is uh, truly amazing. I guess it partially with that type of music and then where the city was, it was a bit of a perfect storm as well, culturally, uh, for Little Mountain to succeed. Yeah, it was. It, it, um, it, most of the, the, the great records that were made there are rock records. And, you know, you could say hard rock or, you know, metal. I mean, Motley Crue made Dr. Feel Good there. And uh, as we said, you know, Aerosmith made three records there and, and Bon Jovi and ACDC and Loverboy and, and many others. Um, you know, the 80s. It was a time of, of many exotic dancers in this city <laughs> and, and strip clubs. I mean, let's be real. And, um, for example, Bon Jovi, who I think had made a couple of records before they came to Vancouver to work with Bob Rock and Bruce Fairburn at Little Mountain to make Slippery When Wet, became very um, enamored with Number 5 Orange. They would spend a lot of their off time at the number five orange. And the story goes that the title of the album, Slippery When Wet, was something the disc jockey there would say so the exotic dancers on the stage would not slip. Like, oh, be really? careful, ladies, it's Slippery When Wet. That's apparently how they got the title for the record, because they were there so much. Uh, Squire, let's talk a little bit about, we talked a little bit about the history of it. Why did Little Mountain close? Well, the, the ownership changed, and um, and I think that you know the rent in the building went way up, and a lot of things just sort of conspired. The other thing too is that the producers, uh, Bob and Bruce especially, were were so well known by this point that bands wanted to work with them, but a lot of them wanted to work with them where they were. For example, um, Metallica's Black album was partially made at Little Mountain, but it was mainly made in Los Angeles with Bob Rock as the producer. They wanted to stay in their area. So a lot of bands didn't want to come here as much. The other thing, too, is, you know, people get fickle Mm -hmm. in the music industry. And, you know, suddenly in the 90s, Seattle was the big place with the grunge music. So everybody wanted to go to Seattle. And suddenly, you know, Little Mountain was kind of seen as a place for the 80s, not for the 90s. And even though you could pretty much do anything in any studio, it lost its luster that way. But certainly its, its place in music history is you know, solidified with the records that came out of there. 
And as I said, the building is still there. It's 201 West 7th if you ever drive by it. And it is very much a part of music history. You just It's just sort of a nondescript building when you drive by it now. But it's still a studio, and it's called Hipposonic Sound now. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? You raise a very good point that uh, in the 90s, things uh, we, uh, you know, was, were more, more fo- focused towards grunge and that scene and that sound. And uh, it's very difficult for a city to be the place or one particular studio, uh, a recording studio, to be the, the place. Um, it, it, like, there's lots of influences that have to sort of come in place where you've got this perfect, perfect storm where Little Mountain was able to do that, and its talent that works there had to, was able to do that, and the city was at a, certain, at a certain space as well. Yeah, you're right. Everything came together at the right time. And really, too, um, what got everybody's attention to Little Mountain was the first two Loverboy albums, which were big in the States, and became, became um, they were sort of the beacon for that studio because Bon Jovi heard the Loverboy records and loved them and thought, hey, let's go work with those guys in Vancouver. And of course, that record is huge. That record takes off, Slippery When Wet. You know, even to this day, like Living on a Prayer, you know, an, an evergreen song that will never go out of style. But it's, you know, then other bands hear that. Oh, let's go to that place. So everything starts following in the place and everybody starts coming here. And if they're successful, the word gets out. But eventually, like anything else, I think it just sort of fades away and and they move on to something else, and something else becomes a scene, which in the 90s was Seattle, and then it just keeps... And now Seattle's not the scene, obviously. Yeah, Things I'm not, change. I, I'm, I'm too old to know what the scene is now, but it's... Uh, you know, you've gone to hip-hop. Pop is always popular, but it's a different different era, different time. Uh, the folks that you spoke to, uh, what, what, were the, what, was sort of, what were the stories from them from that era? I'm very curious. Well, they... Um, First of all, they they were quite happy that somebody wanted to talk to them about it because, you know, there's been all these you know stories over the years about famous studios like Abbey Road, obviously, being probably the one most people know, even though, again, you think about that, you know, Jazz, it's like Abbey Road was huge in the 60s because that was the Beatles studio mm-hmm. and Pink Floyd did Dark Side of the Moon there. But, you don't you know, you don't hear a lot of big records coming out of Abbey Road anymore. Um but the people who spoke, you know, had terrific anecdotes. For example, um, I'll give you a fast anecdote on the song Thunderstruck. Mm-hmm. So when ACDC arrived in Vancouver to record an album called Razor's Edge at Little Mountain, they had done a lot of the, the tapes already. They'd already sort of recorded their songs, and they came to, to basically, you know, put the finishing touches on them, work with Bruce Fairburn at Little Mountain, and sort of just finish them up. Well, they played what they had. And one of the songs they had was Thunderstruck. But Thunderstruck was not the way we hear it now. There was no guitar intro. The legendary and iconic guitar riff that you hear throughout that song wasn't on it at all. They played it for Bruce Fairburn, and Bruce Fairburn said, yeah, yeah, it's a nice song, but it needs an introduction. At which point Angus Young said, hey, I got, a, I got something I've been working on. And they basically plugged him in while he was sitting in the control room, not even in the studio. And he apparently lit a cigarette, and for as long as a cigarette burned, he played that guitar riff over and over. Oh, wow. So what you hear on the record is the only time he played it. He just one-timed it all the way through, and they decided it's so good, instead of just using it as an intro, let's just dip it in and out of the whole song. That's why it's in the whole song. Oh, wow. So Man. little anecdotes like that. And so there, you know, Vancouver and a Vancouver producer, Bruce Fairburn, 
you know, gave the world an iconic rock song just by suggesting, hey, I think this needs an intro. Well, I th- I'm glad you're doing this new special. I, judging by the stories you're telling me, uh, you could write a book on the studio as well uh, based on what, uh, what occurred at Little Mountain. And just for our, our listeners, uh, what time is the special airing tonight? Uh, it'll air at uh, 10 o'clock on BC1. At 10 o'clock on BC1. Well, I look yes. forward to watching it. Thank you so much for your time today. And I, let, yep. let me just add one thing very quickly. If you're driving around tonight or you're looking outside your window and you see like BC Place and, and Science World looking like it's gold or platinum, mm-hmm. that's the city doing that in honor of Little Mountain. Ah, because as we said, uh, today is Little Mountain Sound Studios Day in Vancouver. Yes, was declared so by the city. gold and platinum records, gold and platinum lights. Hey, that is great. Well, if I don't speak to you after today, Merry Christmas to you, Happy New Year. Same to you. And we'll talk yes, very same soon. To you. All the best, Squire. And everybody else. Okay, you too. Bye-bye.